Hello, welcome to the Film Geek Collective, episode 135, What Inspires People to Create. Shoutouts to the following wonderful people. Tessie Cat, Myson Sync Company, LC Cool, Film Marmotic, Zach Ascot, My Bay, Unicorn, Fizz Popcast, W Rated Pod, Real Sharks, uh, Sam from IJ Contrera, Ashley Slashy, Chris Watt, Apple Black Films, Schlockluster Video, Eloisa Hilton, Autistic in Melbourne, Naked Airplane, Tika Marino, Cinemandis Podcast, Larry, Films with Amy Zeus, Caution Spoilers, JGWR, Heavenly Imagine, Also One, Still Melo, Eric Sloss. Okay, the shout outs are now done then. And, well, what does inspire people to create? Well, I think that it's just people tend to want to create from, well, some people just want to create various things, whether it's a sense of community or a sense of achievement or a sense of, you know, balance or whatever you want. Even if you're working in, even if you're working to save someone's, to save someone's life, you want to contribute something, even though that's not necessarily creative. I mean, sometimes you can create things like whoever, you know, whoever invented the, for example, the defibrillator saved many lives, you know, but uh, yeah. That's beside my point here. What inspires people to create movies is that, you know, it's open to anyone. And really, you know, before you had to have 16mm, 8mm, 35 if you were lucky, 70 But uh, most people had 8, 16, you know. But uh, people these days, in the digital age, really just have so much access right now to making films and making television and making whatever they want. And I just love that, you know, and there are so many voices still to be heard, autistic people, there are women that need to be heard through film, there are various others. Speaking of which, I'm going to use that as a jumping off point in terms of diversity of voices. Next week, I am planning to have a podcast episode that I'm going to record on Saturday and release on Tuesday, and that is going to be... Uh, featuring the director of a film called Impossible to Imagine. Her name is Felicity Tillack. And it's films. the film's producer is also going to be on there, Hamish Downey. I know, I know Hamish from the Fizz podcast. I've featured on that podcast uh, numerous times before. And I think I've featured them once or twice on here as well. But yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be uh, uh, an interview that's uh, probably long form, so it might be longer than the other episodes, which is fine. I am always welcome to having the longer episodes, longer conversations, the chit chats and all that. You know, I, I like that. And last week's episode, just to explain what I was thinking, I know it didn't have too much, like it had some to do with movies. And I figured, yeah, well, uh, it's it's pretty good for a first try into something a bit different, which I'm open to exploring that again, and I would love to explore that again. And honestly, I really do think maybe I'll tie it a bit heavily into movies next time, a bit more heavily, just just so I don't... Well, it was a good episode, you know? I spent about four and a half hours fine-tuning it in the editing process. So yeah, there, there you go. That uh, four and a half hours in order to... Uh, in order to edit about four minutes, I would say. But uh, yeah, it turned out pretty great. But yeah, so I think that uh, we do need to hear more voices in the industry so that, yeah, I have, I'm having a female director on next, uh, next time. And I'm all, I've also, uh, last episode, I was speaking with one of my female friends. So yeah, I'm slowly working on the, sorry, diversity quotient. But uh, yeah, so yeah, um, as I was saying before, filmmaking is open to everyone. And 
I love that more and more voices are just coming up to the stage and saying, well, here's what I've got here is what I want to make in my heart of hearts. Here is, you know, something very intensely personal to me. And I feel like, you know, uh, quite a few people say, you know, if you want to tell the story, like, it depends how much you want to tell the story. Do you really want to tell this story? If so, go make it. Your heart will be in it. You know, that sort of thing. And yeah, I can always sense, well, I can often sense when a film is so personal for a filmmaker. And I love that feeling. I love when they put their style on it. You know, it's it's less... If if a if a director's just a four higher director, yeah, I I would always prefer to see the bold visions, whatever the director wants to put on that film, rather than some mandate, some executive medal, some middle of the road bland thing that was obviously processed by studio. You know, I I just want something that has a voice, and you know, like you know, whoever, whatever filmmakers are not going through interference, have the voice. Now, you may or may not like the voice, but it's a voice nonetheless. And that is what counts, you know. And I know the, I know the market's being oversaturated. I know it's hard to get attention, but, you know, sometimes you just want to make the film for yourself too. So yeah, of course you want people to see it, but, you know, ultimately the, the first thing that I would think is, I'm making I'm making the film for myself and you know uh, other people I hope other people would enjoy it but yeah make the film you want to make that's that's really my point there but yeah what else then some people have mentioned the one for the studio one for me philosophy but yeah I mean that that can certainly fund your other projects but you know like uh, I I hope that filmmakers in the future can be especially lucky to make whatever they want on the bigger budgets because sure you have the people on the smaller budgets at A24 and Blumhouse making their movies the way they want total creative freedom low budgets and most of the time Blumhouse does cheaper movies than A24 but that's never that's never a bad thing you know you always got to do your movie economically really but uh, yeah i do think that low budget is a good place to start practicing your skills but then, you know, why don't studios give more chances to more big budget films? Or even if they're not big budget, why why don't they give more chances to more out there films from the major studios, you know? And with cinemas, yeah, here's what I want to mention. A, a drive to put films in cinemas. Now, I know the landscape is changing and, well, maybe independent films won't be so lucky to be in cinemas as much as they are before COVID, which will be really unfortunate but, you know, it's just so rewarding to put in all the work, put in the direction, put in the writing, put in the you know, the, the, the music, the editing, the etc. And just put it up on the big screen like that for an audience to hopefully enjoy or, or most of the audience to enjoy or whatever. Just the feeling of accomplishment you have that you put something out there into the world and how people are going to interpret it. And you may disagree with some of those interpretations, but... You know that that doesn't that that doesn't mean anything really because you have your interpretation and whether you want to tell the audience that or not is something else. That that's completely up to you as the filmmaker, really. But another thing is that I think that making films is important because, well, you just if you want to send a message out there, why not do it in in the best way possible? Like. 
you know, many people watch movies. Not everyone reads, not everyone, you know, watches long-form TV. I mean, long-form TV and books, they're, they're both great, but, you know, if if people are talking about this movie, you know, they're going to say, oh, um, see this, it's really important, you know, it's going to be a, an event. I, I don't care what budget it is, it's going to feel like an event, because, you're going to see on Twitter, maybe, in the smaller communities at least, um, or if you're more famous, the bigger communities or the award circuits, you know, uh, I don't know, this this film that's being nominated this year, that's that's going to be really good. Go go see it. This, this is really good. Go see it. And yeah, you want to be one of those. You know, word of mouth helps just as much as advertising. And social media was something that People just weren't lucky enough to have back in the 90s or the 80s or whatever, you know. And it's ironic because my favorite my favorite type of filmmaking styles were in the later 20th century. But the access we have now, like, you know, some people are like, oh, can we go back to the past? Um, but I'm like, no, I got to stay in 2021 where I am right now. 2021 is the present. There's no time like the present. I realize this is going to be incredibly dated within a year or two or whatever. But yeah, 2021 is this year. <laughs> Listen back in five years and feel the datedness. <laughs> Alrighty, but yeah, um, back on point. Being in the present allows you to network and meet people on Twitter and meet people elsewhere and you know, it's just fantastic. You you can connect to people all, all over the world. You can, you know, you can crowdfund their work. You can champion people. You can build a Patreon. You can build a Kickstarter. You can build an Indiegogo if you want to. But uh, yeah, there's no time like the present. Like even even 20 years ago, 21 years ago now, would you would you be able to have a crowd fundraise your film? You know, you'd have to get backing from a studio, whereas you can make your you can make whatever now in in terms of your creativity and your limitless limitless ambition. Sorry, I sometimes stumble along words. But uh, please forgive me for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, there is no time like the present. Well, yeah, I think that uh, digital filmmaking it gets me into somewhere that I just couldn't access otherwise. You know, I'd have to go out and buy 8mm film just to make a movie before, whereas now I can film something on my iPhone, and many people have a voice on YouTube, and people can see short films, and people can do this and that, and it's just fantastic, you know? But yeah, that's that's part of what inspires me, the limitless ambition of people, making something out of nothing. And, well, even this podcast is making something out of nothing. I do these podcasts for zero dollars. I get paid zero dollars. I do it myself. I do it for an audience of maybe, I'm going to guess, three people an episode because, well, barely anyone listens to this podcast. And if you're still listening, thank you very much. I absolutely appreciate every single person who listens, especially. But uh, yeah, I was going to say that uh, another thing that inspires me is just the 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 people who the people who champion others dreams the people who help other people will always inspire me because you know even it's all about giving back to the community and i really do think that if i if i'm giving back to the community in terms of word of mouth and you know just a general lifting of the spirits you know i i think it's i think it's a mutual thing that's why i say this is a collective type thing the collective 
is anyone who's like, you know, anyone who spreads word of mouth, anyone who supports the thing like that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be money or anything, but you know, I call it the Film Geek Collective because I want to create a community, sick each other with various things that they want to help with and all that stuff. And I just, you know, I really would love it if I was, well, if I was one of your inspirations to go into filmmaking or to continue filmmaking or to continue through if you've had a bad day or to continue through on your good streak, you know, like if you're having a good day, you know, I just, I just wish to be a motivational voice. And I also wish to be a filmmaker myself. So in, in a way, I'm at the consistency of doing these. You know, I, I have writer's block myself. And I also have something like, well, some days I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to do a podcast every single week. Although I do. But, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out how to not burn myself out. Because I want to do one every single week, truly. But sometimes you run out of ideas and sometimes you need to refresh the brain a little bit. And well, that's okay. I'm getting a bit distracted from my main point there. Well, yeah, the community, the collective, it's not, it's not truly, uh, it's not truly like, oh yeah, one of us, that type of thing. That's what you might think when you hear collective, but I just mean a collective of individuals. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, that, that sort of thing. That's what I wanted to really make. And, you know, I would absolutely just love it if I could be one of those motivational voices that keeps you going. And I hope that I hope that I help you and I hope that I can because, you know, I just I just love I, I just love motivating people. I just love making people feel better about life and stuff like that. And well, yeah, that's that's part of what inspires me and what inspires me to create as well, because well, you know, I want to make films that people want to see, and I'm sure all y'all do too. I mean, like, if, if you're not a filmmaker and you're listening to this, maybe you're an author, maybe you're a, another podcaster, maybe, you know, you're someone in the creative fields. Um, but, you know, you can, you still have that drive to inspire people, or at least to make people feel something, to make people care, to make people, you know, care about your work, and yeah. I love that, and I want to support as many people as I can, and that, beyond all the movies, beyond all that, that is what truly, truly inspires me. But you may be asking, you know, what inspires people? And I've mentioned things that inspire people, and I've mentioned many of the things that inspire myself, but you're probably wondering if there's a particular set of movies that inspire me. And yes, yes, there is. My four favourites are on Letterboxd, which are... uh, the Wizard of Oz, It's a Wonderful Life, Pulp Fiction, and Being John Malkovich. I just, I think those are four of my absolute favorite films ever, and I'll just briefly explain why each one of them inspires me. Like, The Wizard of Oz, I'm pretty sure I explained that earlier, because, well, you know, just the, the, all the history that it made with the, with the three-strip Technicolor being, uh, being exposed to wide audiences, you know, one of the first major productions with three strip Technicolor. Granted, there was color before then, but you know, that's you know, it's how to use color properly. You know, so many films just waste color. So many films can just be in black and white, and there's nothing wrong with black and white, nothing at all. But you know, if films want to be in color, and color's like the default now, you know, like why don't more people try to use color? I know plenty of filmmakers do use color theory, but, you know, just as many films could be in black and white. 
even some good films, you know? But, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Just think of a film, if you're going to make a colour film, like, look at Vertigo, or look at Suspiria from 1977, or look at The Red Shoes, or look at, well, The Wizard of Oz. And, yeah, that made me realise I want to make movies, that made me realise every single detail matters, and, yeah, all that stuff. But also, It's a Wonderful Life. Well, of course, it inspired me, because, well, It's a Wonderful Life is a film about affirming the quality of life, and I I don't want to give it away for anyone who's not seen it, which I'm not going to give it away. But uh, I just, I think the movie's inspirational, motivational, everything I've wanted to be, and it's... Well, it's my favourite, it's my favourite black and white movie ever, technically. But, um, and this might be a very, very, very minor, minor thing. The film does not bring it up at all, but I, I don't remember, I honestly don't remember any hint of Santa imagery in the movie. Well, naturally, because it's black and white as well. I mean, Santa can be in black and white, but, you know... It's interesting that for such a big Christmas movie, Santa's not in it at all. But, yeah. So, yeah. I'm subverting expectations in the right way. That could be something. But, yeah, I do think that the old-fashioned charm of that movie is pretty good. And I've I've just liked that movie. I, I saw it more recently, like in my teenagehood. But still, you know, like three of the movies that it's by, that are my favourites I, I saw in my teenage years. And there are many more favourites that I can't just list in a, a list of four like Letterboxd would ask me to. But, you know, still. Now, moving on to Pulp Fiction. Say, say what you will about the filmmaker. Say what you will about the film itself. I'm, I'm going to say, as a film, Pulp Fiction is just so much fun. It's so much energy. It is just... You know, even even when it's being relaxed, you know, it's there's still a little bit of, well, energy in the dialogue, you know what I mean? It's just the actors and playing off each other and all that stuff. And, well, apart from apart from the fact that Pulp Fiction, yeah, it's even at, it's even at the time of release, my, my one major issue with Pulp Fiction, like, I, I was born eight years after it released, I saw it when I was 15 in, I think it was 2017. I saw it for the first time when I was 15. But still, my point there was my my only real beef with it is that why did they need to put the racist language in there? Really? Like, I, expl- I explained that in my Pulp Fiction episode too. But, uh, you know, like, uh, I, I say that in my Pulp Fiction episode. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my only major problem with that movie. You know, I like how it jumps around in time. I like how they borrow some shots. I like the certain artificial artificiality of some scenes. That Yeah, that was my 100th episode of the podcast. So, yeah, if you want to go back, check that out. Um, yeah, I'm, I, uh, I haven't listened to it in a while, so I'm not sure how good a job I did with it. But, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and finally being John Malkovich. Now, I think that uh, for every David Lynch film I've seen, which I've seen Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, The Elephant Man, and nothing else. But yeah, being John Malkovich is weirder than David Lynch. And I say that that wholeheartedly. And it made me realise I love weirdness, absurdism, all that stuff. And 
you know, I, I realized that things could be weird and have a heart too. Like, I think I first realized that really with like Edward Scissorhands by Tim Burton. But being John Malkovich is really just something else. Ado- like I, expl- I explained the premise in the, the episode with Susanna. But, you know, um, yeah. So I'm sure you could search it up on IMDb anyway, so I'm not going to really repeat it here. But I really just, I do think that it's such an original concept and they explore every question that you that you think would need answering. And I think that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with leaving ambiguity or more questions than answers. Which, uh, yeah, basically, if you've never seen Being John Markovich, I would recommend going to see it to see if you like the film or not. And yeah, there are many more films that inspire me. Like, you know, The Fly from 86 or Terminator, Terminator 2, you know, that sort of thing. The sli- the, there are two films that made me realize a tall image can sometimes be just as good. Um, you know, The Silence of the Lambs and Jurassic Park. Just to get technical for a sec, the one eight, the one eight five to 1 aspect ratio is what Silence and Jurassic both use. And yeah, you couldn't have it any other way. You know, Hannibal's face filling the frame in those close-ups. And, you know, the dinosaurs being so tall. And, you know, you still had the width. And when Paramount had VistaVision, which was the same shape, basically for those non-technical, it's like about the shape of your TV right now, your widescreen TV. And yeah, well, composing for any aspect ratio is a little difficult, but there are people who just get it right. And and, uh, Jonathan Demme and Steven Spielberg just really get that right, height and width at the same time. And it is glorious. And you really got to think about every little detail in a movie. Okay, I'll say detail. I'm not sure if the tale sounds pretentious or not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you really got to think about every single decision. As I was saying with the black and white, you know, too many people think wider is automatically better when some things just don't benefit from it. For example, I just, I was watching a bit of uh, Shin Godzilla. I, I saw a bit of it on, I think, SBS. And I was thinking, well, I if, if it was up to me personally, maybe I would have done it 185 to 1. Because, you know, the tallness of the monster and the various news broadcast things that I saw in movie that were pillar box to 185 anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, I got to probably see the rest of the movie one day. But, uh, yeah, I saw a bit of it. And I, I guess, yeah, they actually did use the width pretty well, though. I will I will give them that. And it seemed like a good movie, too. So, yeah. Even even movies that you don't like, which you know my list by now, if you've been listening for a long time. And yeah, even even the movies I don't like, or the movies that there are major flaws with, like, you know, that sort of thing, or the movies are majorly dated. You can learn a lot from that sort of thing. If if a movie is if a movie has outdated depictions, learn from them. We we can't we can't just forget the outdated depictions exist because otherwise we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes all over again. So put a trigger warning or whatever, but you know, don't censor them. Let people see them for what they are and let people move on from that and learn to be better as as people do as people. Yeah. So, yeah, I really I really do think that it is great to want to send a message to various people through the power of film and, yeah, even TV. And I'm not going to comment on medium is the message because I'm not sure about it. And a lot of people say it's bull. And I don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm open to interpreting that. Depends what people say about it. But, yeah, Marshall McLuhan's the medium is the message. 
I I hear Videodrome talks. Uh, I I hear Videodrome is maybe a could be interpreted through that possibly, but I haven't seen Videodrome, so I don't really know. But yeah, maybe share what you think on Twitter after the fact. You know, but uh, yeah, I am I'm saying but uh, yeah a lot. I know, but I don't know. But yeah, I just had these verbal ticks. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, ha ha ha. Yep. All right. I think that's really all I gotta say. So yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of another off kilter episode. You know, it's it's better to experiment than stay to the same thing all the time, which is why I haven't been doing really the movie reviews like I used to. But I'm open to doing movie reviews and all that. You know, in in the future, I'm sure I'll get my I'll I'm sure I'll get one of my friends Aaron onto the podcast to review the other two James Dean films, Rebel Without a Cause and Giant. Um, you know, we, re- we reviewed East of Eden a while ago now. I can't remember which episode, but you can search for that too. Um, yeah. So if you want to inspire, create, innovate, electrify, we need your voice because you can change things for the better. Now go change things for the better. Peace out. Oh, hang on. Next week, let me just remind you, next week, interview with the Impossible to Imagine director Felicity Tillack and the film's producer Hamish Downey. And yes, that will feature and spotlight a female filmmaker. So for those who've wanted an episode about female filmmakers, there you go. Alrighty then, peace out.